Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the 537th show of ROI. Our noted guest for today is Rachel Heiss, General Manager of the Great Revivalist Brewery. And she has taken time out of her schedule to talk about this wonderful institution. Our history buffs for today's show are Jay Swords and Terry Toppler. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you inviting us all out here. Uh, it's a privilege. Now, to let the um, listeners know that we actually had a larger crowd, uh, a other cohorts, cohorts of yours and the owner, but they had the responsibility of the institution. So they're the ones that set you out as the voice. Yep, that's typically what happens. Yes, that happens in business pretty well. <laughs> yep. Uh, the first segment of our show is pretty much referred to as history as local. And our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So can you start us off with some basic information on where the great revivalist brewery is and why you chose the, this name for your business. And I must add a comment, whenever they've got great revivalists tied in with either breweries or sin, I just love it. So <laughs> floor's yours. <laughs> so um, we originally started out in Geneseo as the great revivalist brew lab. And we have always been looking to expand our brand into another location. Um, and we are uh, definitely uh, history buffs and uh, lovers of eclectic things and old things ourselves. So we've been looking for a location that would suit our personalities, uh, such as an old church, uh, schoolhouse, firehouse, anything with um, character, a little bit of history to it. Um, so we looked for, for quite a long time, and um, it turns out we knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody in Clinton and turned us onto this church that was uh, about to essentially be turned into a parking lot. Um, it had been sitting vacant for about three years. As soon as COVID happened, um, the congregation had left, and nobody had been back into it since then. So I guess we knew the right people at the right time, and uh, we went in there last June, and we took step our first steps in there, and after we took our first steps in there, we were like, this is it. This is, you know, what we want to do, and and. and here we are now, a little over a year later, and we're, our doors are open, and uh, we're really enjoying um, being able to share uh, what we've done with the facility with everyone. That sounds fantastic. Could you give us the location, please? Sure. It's at 238 4th Avenue South in Clinton. So if you're coming to Clinton on the Illinois side, hit the Route 30 bridge. It's two blocks down. Um, if you're coming down the Iowa side, you come all the way through town there and come by Hy-Vee, and we're just, again, two blocks down from the Route 30 bridge. Okay, that sounds great. Now... How many employees work for this fine institution? Uh, I believe we have around 60 right now total, wow. yeah. How many square feet is the church slash brewery now? Um, well, we have the a lot of space and we have additional uh, buildings on the facility, but I'd say ten to 15,000 square feet. It's, it's very large. Yes, that would definitely. So um, when you were talking about your interest in history and other institutions, when you were in Geneseo, um, is it still there, or have you moved to Clinton? Or um, We actually have just uh, 
closed our location in Geneseo. We were in a strip mall. We had been there for the last three and a half years, and we have actually um, acquired a location in Rock Island uh, right. at the Carpels Museum, where we'll be lo moving operations to that. Um, so we will actually own the property ourselves, and we will be moving out of the strip mall. We've had the individuals from the Carpels Museum as guests on the show, mm -hmm. and when we saw, saw that they were shutting down and it's like and then you guys are moving in there like oh this is a, a continuation of a great story yep um so what is your guys's expertise or specialties if i may ask um, well, our, our specialties are in making beer, of course. You know, that's uh, our, our pride and joy, our, our namesake, and that's what, what we are here for is to, to bring the, our love of craft beer to the, to the area and to the Midwest. Oh, the cockles of my heart are just warming yeah. up. So what would you say? I'm walking in there, and uh, I'm the first-time guest, which will actually be happening probably this weekend. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and I'm kind of a green goose. I never really had any of your beer before. What would be the first one that you would recommend? Well, what uh, what is your flavor of choice? Are you light, dark, in the middle? I'm usually um, a lager person. However, uh, I have a friend of mine who has been pushing the IPAs on me for quite a long time, and I always thought they stunk. However, he's introduced me to a couple that I was kind of like, oh, yeah, they are quite... Um, different so uh, i'm a flexible kind of person what well, would you recommend we, we have all of those available um so if you're going on the light side we have our bird song blonde ale it's my personal favorite uh, if you're a light beer drinker people are like oh i want bud light coors light i steer them towards that we also have a wonderful lager it's called the 1898 american lager which was the building the year the building was erected so that's the namesake for that beer um, we also have three awesome ipas out right now we have cloud trippin we have sticky kitty and we also just released our batch hazy <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. That's that. That we go with there. Okay. Yeah, so we actually have a lot of a uh, lot of great choices out there. We have stouts on right now. We have sours. We have reds. Um, we have a little bit of everything for everybody. Honestly. Let's go into the procedure of making the beer. Of course, there are many different kinds, and from what I understand, loggers take the longest. They do. Yep. And um, why don't you give our listeners kind of a rundown of how many weeks or months it takes to make each beer? Because, of course, that's what your business depends on. Right. Uh, as my father, if I recall, IPAs were kind of created with um, the English sailing distances, and they weren't going to, the sailors were not going to wait six months for a beer. <laughs> so they created yeah. the IPA, which was quicker. Yeah, they want something they can turn around pretty fast. Yeah, so. Um, I, I wish our, our brewer was here. He'd be the best uh, gotcha. to answer those questions. But, you know, um, like you said, uh, lagers, those type of things, they take a lot longer, you know, whereas you can turn something else out, you know, in three, four weeks, depending on how long everything's taken to ferment out of the, the product and everything like that. So um, you can turn something on really quickly, or it can be several months down the road, especially if we're doing any barrel aging. You want that to sit in there for a good year. Um, so it just it depends on the, the style and, and what they're going for in, in the process. Okay, so uh, you guys also do food, correct? Yep. So what is your specialty with food, if I may ask? It's wood fire pizza. So we have a nine-foot wood fire pizza oven that we have there. So um, it can do nine to ten pizzas at a time. Uh, so that we make our own dough, we do all those processes ourselves. So um, wood fire pizza is definitely our our cream to crop. Um, it's actually in the main dining room at, too as well. Uh, our wood fire pizza oven is. Um, our main kitchen is down off of there where you don't see it, but the pizza oven is actually in the main dining room. Okay. Um, my last question before we go our first break. Obviously, you went from a church to a brewery 
uh, food festivity place. Mm-hmm. How many months of construction and what construction was involved to make this transformation? I mean, the last place I'm sure was converting water to wine. That's not what you do. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> there we go. Water to beer. Well, there, yeah, okay. You're, you're all halfway <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, we are. <laughs> um, so uh, we set foot in there June 1st last year, and we opened the, the first week of May this year. We opened a couple weeks before our actual main kitchen was done, um, but we were able to serve pizza so we just did pizza for the first couple months so it took us just under a year um, and we're still you know working on the fine touches as we go into the fall and and buttoning all of our projects up but um, yeah it took us just a little over a year and it was complete demolition Um, obviously it was a church it was not plumbed or um, fitted for HVAC or electrical needs whatsoever so everything had to be 100% redone and put in as far as HVAC electrical and plumbing um, to make it operational as a brewery we had to do a lot of um, putting in different walls we had to do a lot of digging out Um, the basement we dug out and it was a dirt floor and we actually moved it up six inches and put poured concrete in the whole basement so we actually have an event center in the basement of the church as well so you actually have a foundation now in We the have building. a foundation that's not just the bricks, yes. <laughs> okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy. In moments of grief. Broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask that question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Miss Rachel Heiss, General Manager of the Great Revivalist Brewery, and we're going to talk about that institution. Our history buffs for today's show are Jay Swords and Terry Toppler. Jay, you and I know that you spent a ton of time in bars, so why don't you ask the first question? <laughs> well, thanks. It's always good to be an amateur expert. Well, in that introduction, it just doesn't get any better. <laughs> That's right. So, Rachel, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the business end first, and in particular... Um, when you're starting out with something like this, how do you find your brewer and your chef and your staff? Because we all know that the restaurant business has a very tiny margin. It more, far more of them fail than succeed. You're obviously succeeding extremely well. How did you go about the process of finding those right people? Well, um, I was actually working at the prior brewery back in 2020 in Geneseo when um, Richard, the owner, actually purchased it. Um, So I was already there working um, part-time, and then when he purchased the the property, or the business, excuse me, um, I went on full-time with them. So he kind of uh, acquired me by default with the prior business. (laughs) 
And um, so, and then our brewer, he had known for a little while, and he um, was coming from a, a prior brewery. And um, so we acquired him as well. And so he's been with us um, pretty much the whole time um, since 2020 as well. So we've actually both translated to the Clinton location full time. Um, and so it is a difficult uh, business to be in finding staff, um, finding people that are, are willing to show up and, and grind the paint with us is what we're always looking for is people that have the same love and the same drive for us. And so um, we, we do struggle with staffing. We have a lot of great people that work with us now and we're always looking to to supplement that more but um it's a very tough industry to find people that are you know looking to put in the time and the hours the, and the blood and sweat and tears that we are doing to make this place work for us terry yes rachel i want to say how much i i enjoyed coming up to clinton uh just last week to see the drb and i was so impressed with how everything was remodeled and the attention to detail, the beautiful stained glass windows, um, also the fresco. Oh, my goodness. And your outdoor venue with that amazing um, fountain that you have. Can you talk a little bit about how you visualized all of this, how it all came to be? Um, well, you know, I'd have to give the uh, the credit to the owner on that. He's uh, uh, very creative in his uh, ways of wanting to do things. And so um, definitely a lot of it just came from his creativity and his love for uh, finding eclectic things and just kind of putting it all together. Um, when we first walked in there, you know, the, the carpet was all red, the walls were white. We took you know, one swing into the walls, we found the brick on the uh, underneath of the wall. So then all the, the drywall came down and um, we, we exposed that brick. And um, he's just uh, great at finding tons and tons of things that people don't even realize what they have, honestly. Um, we've acquired so many things. Um, I've made many travels across the Midwest to acquire um, items for our location in Clinton. Um, he has done the same. We've, we've both been all over the place. We've gotten stuff from um, Europe and things like that. So um, it's just a matter of him taking the time and, and knowing kind of what he wants and, and, and finding those right people and those those right estate sales. We always joke with him that he is a, a mild hoarder, but um, he finds the greatest finds at all of these places for us. So It is kind well, of amazing. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm so glad you were able to get there and see it in person. It's it's one thing to see it in photos, oh, um, but when you when yeah. you open those front doors and you walk in and you see that oh. fresco on the back wall, it is breathtaking. Oh, yeah. It, you're just blown away. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. To, to pick up where you guys are going with that discussion, um, when you're when the owner was telling you these ideas, is he an individual that, because I've known some eclectics myself, that how they describe it is not anywhere close to what the image they have in their head. And then when they show you, um, it's amazing how it it reaches, it bridges over. But I've also known some of them that they can describe you to the, the nano point of what it is going to be. Um, is the owner a blend of that? Because I have family members that go to the state sale, <laughs> and they're like, "Yes, <laughs> I have this kill big me image." I told you guys, that, but it's true. It's where he finds a lot of our stuff is is random sales and finds, or he's just patrolling on uh, Facebook Marketplace, and it's like you click a one button, you click another button, and here you are down a rabbit hole, and you found this masterpiece of a thing that nobody even knew 
was a masterpiece until we got it. Uh, <laughs> we've got a couch and an antique secretariat if he's happily looking that I'm you trying know, to We are out always, <laughs> you know, and we have a whole other facility to outfit. Now, well, hey, you know, you know well, definitely so you have to get in touch with you. If it's worthy of a museum type atmosphere, please let us know. We're always looking for stuff. Well, but. my father-in-law was an antique dealer and he used to have his own amusement park kind of the same way. And it is a rash, it's a way of thinking that it, it blows my mind away because it seems to be nothing there and then, wow, it is. And that's kind of how it is. Um, you know, he, he He's usually pretty knows exactly what he wants, but then sometimes he'll like show up and he'll be like, "Oh, hey, I, I you know I found this fountain in Wisconsin." <laughs> you know, I'm like, "Oh, I'm thinking a fountain," and he's like, "No, I found a fountain," and he's like, "It's twenty by 20. and I'm like, "What the heck are we gonna do with a twenty by twenty fountain?" And you know, as you've seen in photos, and those of you who've been there, it's a beautiful piece in our courtyard it wouldn't be the same without it oh, now yeah. you know like it was never there before but now every day i look out there and it's there and it's just it's a part of our life but you know it's like i was actually looking at photos the other day when it was just a green space and there was more you know there's other trees and stuff out there and now there's this beautiful you know replica of a, a fountain from trento italy the neptune fountain you know so i mean it's just it's it's breathtaking the things that we have found i mean we have a a, a dutch gaper from the 17th century from holland so i mean it's just the things that we have found um you know i traveled to st louis to find um these antique corbel uh grotesques that we have on our walls um i've been to minneapolis for things. Um, I went to Lexington, Kentucky to pick up. We have, um, if you've seen the outside of our building, we have gargoyles on the top of the church. I traveled to Kentucky and St. Louis in the same day just to pick those up. Wow. So it's like, it's a labor of love for us. And we, we love what we do. And we love providing uh, a great atmosphere to, you know, eat and drink and, and gather with your family. And what better place to do it in a church, a gathering place. Jay. Hmm. Well, I'm maybe jumping slightly ahead of, t of uh, the process here, but since I literally live in walking distance of the old uh, Carpellis Museum, um, can you talk a little bit about that and how that happened um, and what your plans are, are for there? Is it going to be a duplicate of what you've done in Clinton? Are you thinking of doing something slightly different? Um, what's it going to take to convert uh, this uh majestic old building into the kind of restaurant and brewery you're you're hoping to build um just talk a little bit about that um so again um we were looking for unique properties and we wanted to have somewhere in the qc and we had been hunting for locations and again another thing richard stumbled upon and um it just kind of went went from you know zero to a hundred when he, we were looking and you know he saw it he fell in love with it just kind of like how we went into the church he fell in love with it um felt like it was a good fit for what we were able to do um again we're in the very very beginning preliminary stages a lot of things we have to go through all the stuff you know with the city as far as that goes we know there's some rezoning things that have to be done um and then on the inside um you know we're not doing a ton of actual changing to the structure um making uh some taking out some walls making some floors level um, and then just enhancing it. There'll be fountains there. There'll be the grand things that we have in Clinton. Um, it won't be, you know, necessarily the same Gothic revival as in Clinton. It'll be more, you know, I would say structured towards maybe like, um, he's talked about doing some st like Greek statues and things like that, you know, to kind of fit in with that. Um, and we're looking, 
you know, sometime next year, hopefully we'll be in that facility. But I, again, it'll probably be another um, year long process <laughs> as we learned with the church. Um, it's not outfitted to be a brewery. So again, um, the just the, the plumbing, the uh, power capabilities, and also again, the HVAC, it's a very old building. It's on a boiler system still. So that's also something that we have to overcome as well. Um, you know, so it's just, um, you know, really at the end of the day for us, it's just housekeeping things that we have to do to, to make our new house work for us. Um, but it will be a process, you know, going through all our stuff with the city and then going through the whole entire building process. So, um, you know, we're hoping by this time next year we'll be uh, serving up beer in, in, in downtown Rock Island. Sounds great. Terry. Yeah, Rachel, just off the main dining room area. There's a section, I think, uh, one of the waiters called the music room. Uh-huh. Uh, can you describe that and, and what you did with that amazing organ and how that fit into the decor of that part of the restaurant? Sure. So um, all the tables that are down there and two of them that are in our main dining room are actually made from all the different pieces of the pipe organ. Um, everything that you see on the walls down there is um, all parts of the pipe organ as well. Um, the pipe organ was originally um, up on the altar if, if, since you've been there on the right hand side where you see um, our brew house. Um, it was actually back in that room and then they dismantled it and then they created all the tables. So like the baffles and um, everything are uh, most of the tables. And then we have like the switchboard is up on the wall where you can see where everything worked like that. Um, originally that area was the open uh, parsonage there is their offices their daycare um, and things like that they had a kitchen down there so we actually built all the walls the bathrooms and everything that was actually a wide open space down there um, so and it was also another a red carpeted area so we put all the tile down there um, and then any of the other tables that are down there were actually um, down wood uh, from the derecho there's a lot of live edge um, wood that we have available to us as well so um with the new place, um, I guess the question I'm asking is, is it, you think, going to be the same relevant size? I know you're in the infancy of seeing what you're going to do with it, but uh, eclectic people rarely like doing the same thing twice. No, I, I think it'll be, um, it's, it's going to be equal in its grandeur, of course, um, but it'll be a totally different take on what we're doing in Clinton. Um, so I think it'll be a, a real big surprise for a lot of people. Um, and again, it's in its infancy stage. Um, what he has in his brain today maybe change a little bit yeah. in the next, you know, weeks or months. Um, just you know, due to finding out structural things and such when you get in there because that's what we found in the church we thought we were going to be able to get in there a lot faster than we were and you know you dig one hole you uncover this you break one wall down you uncover this so it's like we can't we'd love to say hey we're going to be open in nine months but we realistically know there's no way we can say that at all you know we have no idea when we're going to be open hopefully next year sometime there are very few words that are more deceitful than remodeling yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah no yeah and, and that and that's what we learned with this project in clinton it's it takes a and, and again it takes an army of people working collectively together and it's not just us facilitating it's like the hvac guys working with the electrical guys and then the plumbers got to do this but they can't do this before the other guys do this so it's just it, it's a, a coordination of a mass amount of people coming together to make one project happen and then it's like it was like you know people were experiencing staff shortages themselves um you know they were experiencing product availability you know so it's just like it's if it's not one thing it's the other thing and then it's the other thing jay so I'm interested, um, 
small breweries always have interesting names for for beers. Uh, we definitely who, have. Who that. comes up with the names? And and do you do market research? Do you do you actually look around and say, okay, this kind of of title is going to draw people's attention and get them to try stuff, or is it really just sort of? Uh, I have an inspiration, I come up with the name, and then we just run with that. It's the second, <laughs> definitely. Um, our brewer, Scott, he is fantastic at that stuff. He always, typically when he's brewing a beer, he's probably already got an idea for the name because of um, of the grains that are going into it or what inspired him to do it. Um, sometimes we all sit down and throw our names in the hat and we try and figure out stuff, but um, he is, is excellent at figuring out just these creative names. Um, and they just take off like wildfire. Sometimes, you know, we're like, oh, man, people might be offended. But it's like some most of the time, those are the names that people are drawn to the most, you know. Um, so we we are really lucky that he has himself a very creative mind when it comes to naming beers as well. Terry. Oh, sorry. Talk- Go ahead, Jim. Let me follow up a little bit because I am interested in the idea that so you really do find that the, that the name sells the beer, that it isn't just sort of a, a cute add-on or whatever. It actually really helps. Yeah, we feel that, you know, creative names with anything we do, um, you it's, it's all about our branding. Um, you know, we want to know that you're going to go into the store and see that name on there, and you're, you're going to be drawn to it instantly or see the, the creativity that's gone into the label. You know, um, everybody makes tons of IPAs. Everybody makes tons of blonde beers, but it's like you want to have that creative name, that creative label that's going to instantly draw you to I do it myself when I go to the store. If the label doesn't look, you know, jumping out at me or the name's just kind of like, oh, this is a raspberry wheat, well, you know, okay. Um, that's why we like to have something or, you know, to show the, the significance of the beer, um, what's behind the beer. I mean, he's made a lot of beers for um, us staff members. He's asked us what we would like. Um, so I personally love sour beer. Um, so our first sour that's going to be released out onto the market in Kansas, are, it's called Peach Wrangler, and that's uh, my favorite my favorite flavor. Um, I drive a Jeep, so that's where the Wrangler part comes in. So so the labels are very cool. It's actually like an alien sitting on a unicorn and he's roping. So so, like, it's very creative, Um, you know, and we have some other ones coming out um, that'll be like that too. But um, the first beers you'll see in the market is is our sour. We have our our Birdsong Blonde and our Sticky Kitty um, IPA will be out. And the the label for that is equally as cool as the Peach Wrangler. Okay. It is custom that we give our guests the last word on the show. So, Rachel, why do you think knowing about the great revivalist brewery and institutions like yours that are trying to present things in a with a different outlook are relevant in today's world? Well, you know, we're just trying to find something that appeals to everyone in, in your family. Um, we don't gear towards middle-aged people if you want to bring your hundred year old grandma in for her birthday because she loves craft beer we want to have a beer that she loves Um, we want to uh, appeal to the families Um, we don't want to have just you know one focus we want everybody to feel welcome we want to have food that everyone we want to just provide a very family you know uh, community atmosphere for people to come in and enjoy our love of craft beer craft food and in our destination that we're creating with the, the church there in Clinton. All right. When we come back, we'll wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. 
you're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 537th show of ROI Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker, our program manager is Rick Sweet, and the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our noted guests, Rachel Heiss, general manager of the Great Revivalist Brewery, who talked to us about that institution. The History Bus for today's show were Jay Swords and Terry Toppler. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.